It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, this is the Dick Morris Show with the clown to the left of me, Doug DePiro. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. You were on TV, Doug. What are you talking about? <laughs> you were on, do you remember that segment of that TV show I do and you came in behind me? That wasn't me. They filmed, yeah, it was you. No, it, was it wasn't. You. And that they was filmed, some clown. And they filmed you and everything. And then you had to go in Gutfield to explain it. Yeah, that was good. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. He said, underwear man. And it wasn't wearing my underwear. They were shorts. I was, I'm wearing Florida. It's hot. I was wearing my short. For my those shirt. few of you who don't know what he's talking about, this went viral over the Internet. Oh, my God. And, um, they said the underwear man came behind Dick Morris during one of his shows. And who is the underwear man? And um, the underwear man was not wearing his underwear. He was just in Florida wearing a bathing suit and a tank top. But uh, to the New York Post, that was underwear. And then, But then it went viral, and my friend Maddie called me and said, Dougie, uh, they're going crazy over here. They're saying, uh, Dick Morris is gay lover and this and that. So I, at one point I didn't care, but Gutfeld put it on, I think, Wednesday. And they didn't really get into the gay thing, but they got into other stuff. So at that point I called them and I told them what it, what it was about. And he was all excited. It was actually a good segment. Yeah, you got to yes. see it. He was really good. The star was born. <laughs> <laughs> Not proper Streisand. Yep. So, um, Donald Trump is on track to win New Hampshire by a lot. Yes. A lot. Hit it. The latest poll shows Trump winning New Hampshire by 52 to 35, 17 points. And uh, this poll was taken, this is the second post-Iowa poll. The first one had him winning by only 50 to 36. Now he's expanded that to 52 to 35. And um, it's clear that he's just going to score an amazing victory in New Hampshire, the equal of his victory in Iowa. And that's after Nikki Haley was saying that she would win New Hampshire, that that would be the key primary. Uh, <coughs> and it is the key primary. It's going to be very close to knocking her out of the race. Um, What's your prediction? Well, I think she'll linger on until South Carolina, uh, and then after that, she'll go run into Super Tuesday, and then she'll have to drop out. Uh, but she'll hang on to the bitter end. We'll talk about that in a sec. But Haley went into New Hampshire with two theories about how she was going to win. The first was that she would attract the independents Democratic-leaning independents who can vote in the New Hampshire primary but can't in most states, and that they would come into the Republican primary. I called it hijack the Republican primary right. and to defeat Trump. And she even put an ad on television saying, unaffiliated voters, this is your last chance to defeat Donald Trump. And an overt appeal to the voters to come into the Republican primary for the sole purpose of torpedoing Trump. 
and that didn't work. Uh, she succeeded in, she is succeeding in getting large numbers of independents and probably Democrats to come into the Republican primary. But the problem for her is they're all voting for Trump. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's part. Her margin over Trump among independents has shrunk to only six points, while Trump is killing her among Republicans in the Republican primary by over 50 points. So Trump is going to win New Hampshire by a lot. And then the second theory she had was she said that <clears throat> what's going on is that any voters that are for the other candidates, the third candidates, the plethora of them, uh, when that candidate drops out, they'll unite behind the remaining anti-Trump candidate who's going to be me. And she said, if I can get this into a two-way race, I'll get all of DeSantis's votes, all of Ramaswamy's, all of Christie's, and and we'll put together a coalition. Well, she the, she is forced out, <clears throat> and those other candidates have lost their votes. But instead of losing them to Haley, they lost them to Trump. <clears throat> so Trump is doing fine. And uh, with each dropout, he increases his margin. The basic point is that most of these voters that are voting for other candidates in the Republican primary, when you ask them, who's your second choice, they say Donald Trump. So Haley didn't count on that. She was counting the other way around. And as a result, she is absolutely being massacred now in, in the Republican primary. Hit it. Is standing in the clothes that you once wore. <coughs> Strike another match, go start anew And it's all over now, baby blue It's all over now, baby Mickey So that Hail Mary's not going to work Yeah, that's right Haley Mary Hail Mickey, yeah, yeah. So Let's just go through the history, the, the short, lamented, failed history of the Stop Trump movement, okay? Hit it. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. The history of the anti-Trump movement started in this election, in November of 22, when the popular wisdom and the conventional wisdom pushed by the media was that the Republicans lost the election of 2022 because the expected red wave did not materialize. Now, of course, it did materialize. The Republicans won the House of Representatives, which is a big deal, uh, but they didn't win the Senate, and they, in fact, lost one seat in the Senate. So the media was quick to say Trump lost the election and he's vulnerable and the voters are tired of him and for 24 they're looking for someone to replace him. So there was a big brouhaha right after the 22 election in November that Trump is on the down slope, that Trump is losing. So Trump responded to that by announcing his candidacy for president on November 15th, 2022 to stem the alleged slip and to reassert that he was in the game and was going to win. Back then, a lot of people doubted that he was really going to run. And uh, when you predicted he would run, it was all of a sudden a big, a big news item. But 
I knew he was going to run. He knew he was going to run, so he announced it to the world early on November 15th. Then after he announced it, there was a boom for uh, DeSantis. People said, oh, Trump lost the 22 election. DeSantis cruised to an easy re-election in Florida, getting, winning by over 20 points. <clears throat> and it's clear that the Republican voters have now given up on Donald Trump. They're sick of the controversy. They like his policies, but they don't like his personality, and they'll be receptive to somebody new coming into this. And on the strength of that polling, on March 8th of 23, uh, a few, about two months after Trump announced, there was a CNN poll that showed DeSantis defeating Trump by 39 to 37. That's the only poll in history that showed that. And But DeSantis continued to be a strong candidate. On March 8th, he was at 39% of the vote, uh, Trump at 37. On April 15th, DeSantis got 31, Trump got 46. Trump was gradually coming back. On May 18th, DeSantis sank to 25% of the vote. So he dropped from 39 to 31 to 25. And then to arrest his own drop, DeSantis announced his candidacy on May 24th, which was way too late. Why did he wait until then? First of all, he was stupid, and he was in the middle of a legislative in Florida. And he said he had to wait until the session was over to announce his candidacy. Right. Part of that is because Florida has a law that says when you're running for another office, you have to resign from the one you now have. And DeSantis got that law repealed so that he could run without resigning. Ah. But he knew that the backlash, the popular backlash against his running while he was governing would be huge. So he decided to wait until the session was over. And that was a totally fatal mistake. He should have waited to 28 is what he should have done. Yeah, but in the short term, had he announced when Trump announced on November 15th, he might have had a better shot. Uh, but he couldn't, he didn't do that. And, uh, Trump in the meantime went around savaging him, explaining his vote against social security, about raising the retirement age, about co co reducing the cost of living adjustment about DeSantis's attacks on Trump for banning immigration from China and all kinds of stuff that Trump laid on DeSantis. And DeSantis was not on the air. He was too busy being governor, and he took those negatives and fell. Dumb move. <clears throat> Same damn thing that happened to Romney in 2012. Uh, he came out of the box very strong, could have beaten Obama. <clears throat> but then Obama dumped on with all kinds of negatives, and he never answered. Yes, in the second debate, he just never answered. Never answered, and by the time he answered, it was too late. He killed Obama in the first debate. I don't know, killed, but he, he won that first debate. So by the time DeSantis got his act together to actually announce and to actually run, it was too late. Uh. So on June 23rd, he was Trump was ahead of him 56 to 22. On July 13th, Trump was ahead of him 54 to 25. On August 18th, Trump was winning 62 to 14. On September 28th, Trump was ahead of him 63 to 12. And on November 5th, and, and on, uh, November 15th, Trump beat DeSantis 67 to 9. So at that point, DeSantis was over. He had run and he peaked and he'd fallen and he was out of the race. Do you think he just, 
got bad advice that can be because yeah and fund fundraisers type you know well he also is so he's such a uh such a strong will i was gonna say i was gonna use another word about stubborn no that had the end that hole at the end (laughs) but he was so i I like the guy he was so convinced that he was right and so arrogant about it that he would not listen to advice uh, and uh, and the conventional wisdom in Florida was you can't run for president and governor at the same time. People won't like it. And he was just wrong, and he underestimated the damage Trump would do to him. But then the anti-Trump movement was not deterred. They said, well, we just got to switch horses. We had the wrong horse in DeSantis, and he didn't win because he has a bad personality and because he's he's not attractive. And they said, we know who we're going to vote for. We're going to go for Nikki Haley. And then Haley said, well, I'm not going to run nationwide yet. I'm going to concentrate on the early primaries. And then after she spent 11 million bucks in Iowa, she saw she wasn't going anyplace. So then she said, no, I'm now going to focus on New Hampshire. And on January 8th, uh, she had built herself up to 28% of the vote in New Hampshire. Trump had 44. Uh, so it looked like she had a fair chance. She, she was within what she called striking distance of Trump. <clears throat> but then Trump won Iowa on January 15th, and that cemented his nomination because everybody said it's over. Trump won by enough, large enough margins, so Haley isn't going anyplace. And in the poll on the 16th, the day after New Hampshire, the day after Iowa, uh, Trump was leading in New Hampshire by 53 to 26, and he still is. And uh, that was the end of the Nikki Haley campaign. He's got a big strike zone. He's very tall. What? You know, he's got a big strike zone. He's Trump. very tall. Yeah. When, you sit, right. when you're batting, the taller you are, the bigger the strike zone. But um, so that Nikki, so that DeSantis blew his chance. Uh, with the, uh, with his failure to announce and his failure to campaign during the legislative session. And then Nikki Haley blew her chance because she never really had any, but she was hoping to capitalize on Trump's, uh, on, on DeSantis's gain. But, uh, the lesson of this is that the people really want Donald Trump as their president. And they're going to vote for him through thick and thin. And whatever the other side sends against him, they're going to go for him. And uh, they're going to ignore it, and they're going to overcome it. And people said, oh, all the indictments and the civil suit and the the porn star and all of that is going to defeat Trump. And then they said, oh, there's just chaos under Trump. Uh, we'll have order. We'll have uh, sanity and reason. And and it looked like uh, it looked like she was going to be able to get her case through, but she wasn't, and she fell apart in New Hampshire. Now. What I've just given you is the conventional wisdom of why Trump was able to win and the others lost. But when we come back, I'll give you the real story, which is how Trump changed his own campaign to win this race. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am. The media likes This is Dick Morris Show. Welcome back with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. And just one thing, Dick, uh, the call-in number for our people out there, 800-848-9222. 
1-800-848-9222. also is WABC. You know oh, okay. that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Um, so the media likes to say that DeSantis failed, Nikki Haley failed, because they the words stick in their throat and choke them to death to say that Donald Trump prevailed and that Donald Trump did well. But the fact of the matter is that Trump made very important changes in his campaign as he entered this year and really was able to to succeed where he had failed before. And those changes were not visible because Trump didn't make them visible. He tried, he realized that the, the impression of chaos, of hiring one guy and firing him and then hiring another and firing him, that that was working against him. So instead what he did was when he announced his candidacy this time, he put a very skillful, very capable woman in charge of his oh, campaign. Yes. And... um and she absolutely, uh, Susie, Susie Wiles. And she, she, oddly, she was the campaign manager for DeSantis, uh, back in 2020 and 2022. And she took DeSantis from a tough situation to an easy reelection. And then right after the election, DeSantis fired her because he was peaked at her. There was a personal issue and, uh, he just, it was his first mistake. It was his biggest mistake. And she's a class act, too. What a beautiful woman. But don't get her mad. And, and, and DeSantis absolutely pissed her off. And, uh, she, uh, I forget what the, what the incident was, but right. DeSantis was clearly in the wrong. I, no, I think right after she helped him with a big deal, then he didn't need her anymore. I think that was kind of it. Yeah, and I think That's he the, was resentful of her getting the credit for his victory. Right. A lot of those guys something are. Something like that, I think. There's yeah. a great metaphor that I love to use, the pole vaulter. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. With people in my profession. You, you're a pole vaulter, and you're working for a candidate, and the candidate tries to high jump on his own, and he can't get over six feet. But then he discovers a pole, and he runs up to the bar, plants the pole, kicks up his feet, and soars over the bar 22 feet off the ground. He says, wow, look at how high I can jump. Yeah, but that, but he pushed the pole. But then the on pole. the way, but then on the right, way right, down, right. the only thing the pole can do is to knock off the bar. So he gets rid of the pole and cruises <laughs> back to earth on his own and lands splendidly in the sandpit and says, look at how high I jumped. And the last thing he wants to see is that damn pole again right. because that's the reminder that he didn't do it on his and, own. And you're the pole guy. Yeah. So, so Literally. in more than one way, I'm the, I'm the pollster. <laughs> and, and Susie Wiles got into that position against, uh, I mean, she because is of, good, boy. Because of, uh, DeSantis. She is great. So she took over and she was very inclusive. She listened to everybody. She really made everybody feel that they could stay inside the tent and get listened to. And she was terrific. And then Donald Trump changed. Uh, he stopped being, he stopped being a, a busybody. Um, he used to finick with it, futz with every part of his campaign, every aspect of it. Shouldn't I do this? Shouldn't right. I do that? He made Shouldn't it so he didn't thing? have to. And, and she made it so he didn't have to, and oh. she made clear that she didn't like the intervention. She didn't like his nagging her about stuff. And, uh, Trump had just lost the election of 2020. And his tail was between his legs. He realized that he had been defeated and that 
for the first time in his life something hadn't worked out. So his arrogance was toned down a great deal. And he learned that he shouldn't go in public and uh, and say stuff that would hurt him. What he used to do, uh, his uh, his campaign manager back then, uh, his brother, his uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, mm-hmm. said Trump likes to, t- to tease fate. That was his word. He likes when he's doing really well and he's on top of the world to say, well, if I do this, would I still be on top of the world? Right. See if I can get away with that. Can I get away with the other thing? And it's kind of a game that he plays in his head, he said, and it's very destructive. And uh, for, after, for a president, not for a businessman in Manhattan. And after Trump lost the election, he stopped doing that. Right. His last last thing like that was having dinner with that stupid guy, Kane West, yeah, or whatever Kane his name West. Was. Yeah, I was there that but, night. But he but he stopped making mistakes, and he stopped doing self inflicted wounds like that. Right. <clears throat> People used to say Trump's tweets get him in trouble, and then they didn't. His tweets were on message. They were strong. They were effective. They were aggressive, but they weren't nutty, and mm-hmm. they didn't take on targets he didn't need. So, and then finally, a guy named Vince Haley came along. Great guy, H A L E Y, same as Haley, uh, same as Nikki Haley's oh, yeah. last name. How about that? And he was Newt Gingrich's guy. He's not like a mad brother or something. No, he, no, no. Good, good. He was Newt Gingrich's guy. And a guy named Ross Worthington came with him. They were the two guys who had done all of the issues and speeches for Gingrich over the years. And they joined the campaign, and they're brilliant. They're absolutely incredible. They have great knowledge, a great understanding of the process, and encyclopedic knowledge of the issues. And they were terrific in teeing up the issues for Trump, and that led to Trump giving them. And they initiated a series of things that are videos and Trump has done about 50 of them. You can get them by going to DonaldTrump.com slash video. And, uh, and he, they're wonderful things. They're 15, they're, they're five and six minute, three and four minute really speeches that he gives. And they're each on a different topic and they really fleshed out his agenda, fleshed right. out what he'd do in his second term. You get a good feel what he wants to do with those videos. They're quick. Uh-huh. Now, most guys, when they do stuff like when they run for another term after losing, are so busy rehashing the last campaign that they don't come up with anything new in the next campaign. And the issue is, what are you going to do in your second term? And they say, what I did in my first term, only more of it. And Trump didn't do that. He came in with very new, bold, interesting proposals. Like I've explained his idea about an alternative to the Ivy League setting up a government academy that would be run strictly on the merits that could give you the credentials Harvard gives you, but they wouldn't have to put up with the left-wing BS and uh, and his tough things on death penalty for drug dealers, uh, using our military to stop the cartels in Mexico, uh, all kinds of really good proposals that were not to grant birthright citizenship uh, if the person came here illegally. and, and bold new proposals nobody else had. Teacher parent thing. Yeah, the teacher parent should have power in that equation. Uh-huh. And as a result of that, he was not just an also ran. He wasn't just recycling himself. It was new stuff. And people came to appreciate that and they understood that. And clearly that has had a huge effect on Trump's campaign. And, uh, he's on his way now. Let's hit it.
in this moment. It's electric. Can you see it? Can you feel it? This dream inside is still alive today. Yeah, we're on our way. That's by Sam Wesley. Good song there, Mr. Morris. Picked that today. Wow. Okay, so let's let's figure out where we are and where we go in the future. It's, well, there are twenty four hundred and thirty delegates to the Republican convention. <clears throat> so to win, you need one thousand two hundred and twenty six delegates in order to win. <clears throat> and so far, Iowa, New Hampshire have voted. That's sixty two delegates. And coming up on February 8th is Nevada. That's 26. And then on February 24th is South Carolina. That's 24. And then on February 27th is Michigan. That's 117. And combined, that's 10.3% of the delegates, total of 255. Now, and by the way, just for those of you who are getting, going crazy about Nevada, it has two primary dates because the legislature and the governor couldn't agree. The Republican Party said you got to have a primary, and Nevada said, the hell with you, we want a caucus instead. So the legislature passed a bill for a primary on February 6th in Nevada, and the Republican Party said, we don't care, we're going ahead with a caucus on February 8th. So on February 6th, there'll be a presidential primary in Nevada where Trump's not running and nobody else will be on the ballot. They'll just be a bunch of also-rans, never-rans. But two days later, on February 8th, they'll really be the caucuses. The and the, that's, that's the 8th, yeah, correct? Yeah, and Trump will win that. And that's 26 delegates. Then you have to wait two weeks until South Carolina on February 24th. And that is really going to be the absolutely last chance for Haley, because she's from South Carolina. And when she loses South Carolina by a lot, which she's going to do, She's going to be <coughs> under tremendous pressure to drop out of the race. How about what the the other senator said? He endorsed yeah. Trump. And Tim <laughs> Scott, uh, the co-senator, endorsed Trump. And uh, some person asked me, "Is this a uh, was this a um, an endorsement?" And I said, "No, it's a eulogy <laughs> for Nikki Haley because <laughs> she just died." Nick always comes up with this stuff. I don't know where he gets it. So, okay. then after, so, so after February 27th, uh, which is Michigan, 117 delegates, the first large block of delegates. On March 2nd, you have a bunch of other states that have delegate races, flip, dribs and drabs. You have Missouri, who has 54. There are 39 from Michigan that won't be chosen the earlier day that'll be chosen then. There are 32 from Idaho, 29 from North Dakota. District of Columbia gets to vote for 19 delegates. Not a single one of those delegates will vote for Trump. I don't mean at the convention. I mean in the general election. <laughs> but nevertheless, they're accredited as delegates to the Republican National Convention. And that brings the total up to 428, which is 17.6% of the delegates. Then on March 5th, it's finally over. On March 5th, Super Tuesday, Alabama gets 50, Arkansas 40, Alaska 29, California gets 169 delegates. Wow. Colorado 37, Maine 20, 
Massachusetts, 40. They can't find 40 Republicans in the whole state. <laughs> 39 in Minnesota, 74 in North Carolina, 43 in Oklahoma, 53 in Tennessee, 161 from Texas, almost as many as from California, wow. 40 from Utah, 17 from Vermont. There are not 17 Republicans there, mm-hmm. and 48 from Virginia. I don't know if there's 17 people. So on Tuesday, March 5th, there'll be 865 delegates selected, which will come to a cumulative of 1,293, which is 40, which is a majority of the delegates. <clears throat> but after that, everybody has to drop out. After that, it's clearly over, uh, because you, the, the, you literally pass the margin that you need to actually win the convention in pledged delegates. Now, there's a little behind the scenes stuff going on in California. Let me tell you about the, uh, the California Republican Party used to allocate its delegates proportionately. So it diluted their power. One guy would win 48%, the other one 51, and so on. They voted largely because of Donald Trump's team pressuring them. And this is also part of the brilliant Susie Wiles brought to the campaign. They got California to agree, okay, we'll do it proportionally, but if anybody gets more than 50% of the vote, they win everything. It's winner-take-all. And it's now going to be winner-take-all. So that's 169 delegates. You just move over to Trump's column. Uh, so when you take all of those together, it's going to be over on Super Tuesday. When we come back, I'll talk about the other fact, which is that Biden is falling apart in the polling. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Well, all this was going, this is, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Hello. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Well, all of this is going on. Biden has been sinking slowly, slowly, slowly uh, until he's absolutely at the lowest he's ever been. I hit it. The ABC News Ipsos poll showed that Biden now has the lowest job approval rating of any president in the past 15 years. His approval rating is now 33, the lowest since then-President George W. Bush from 26 to two, from 06 to 08, right in the middle of the Iraq war. Uh, he has 58% disapproval, Biden does. In the meantime, Trump has moved out to a very big and I think very decisive lead over Biden. The last five polls, five of the last six polls show big Trump lead. Hartford Harris on January 17th, Trump ahead by six. Messenger, Trump ahead by four. Morning Consult, Trump ahead by two. CBS, Trump ahead by four. Rasmussen, Trump ahead by eight. So these are really decisive leads and I think they're, they're going to be very important in the dynamic. Uh, I think that the, that when you combine Biden's absolutely falling apart with the very strong performance that Trump has had, uh, I think that you're, you're really seeing the orientation of the election. Now, 
next week, I'm going to talk to you about Nikki, about the only person who could defeat Donald Trump, the only person who could give him a race, Michelle Obama. And I think the Democrats are absorbing the lesson that Joe Biden can't win. I don't want to get off on that today because I don't want to distract from New Hampshire and from Trump's momentum. But I, need think, to, I, I agree. We need to keep that in mind. In the meantime, let's go to uh, Dean in New Jersey. Hi, Dean. Hey, Dean. Yeah. Hi, hey. Dean. You know, I'm talking about um, DeSantis, and he's missing something important in his campaign that Trump has. Trump is an entertainer. And and there's just no way that DeSantis is going. He looks so stiff on stage. I don't care who he has as his campaign manager. Yeah. When he goes up against somebody who's an entertainer, blows him apart. And, yeah, and Trump you're, has you're right about feeling. that, Dean. Um, and you know Trump is an entertainer, but of course he he was a great president as well. But every president finds his own style, and that style becomes ultimately as important or maybe more important than the substance of his presidency. Kennedy's style was very clipped, dry humor, quips, uh, and and very focused. Uh, Eisenhower's style was avuncular and grandfatherly in the you know, the uh the head of the, the uncle uncle of the uh, country. Avuncular? Yeah, that means like your uncle. You have never known that word? <laughs> Welcome to the English language, Zach. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> with, with which you have a passing acquaintance. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> FDR's style was, I'm your neighbor. His, he would begin his fireside chats with my friends. He would never say to the American people or my fellow citizens or my fellow Americans. He'd just come on and say, my friends, and then he would talk. So that every president, and Lincoln's style was the most interesting of all. It was very folksy, very folk wisdom, and included a lot of really, of, of really pithy sayings and words that, that mobilized us in the Civil War. And Trump has his own style, and that style of platform, repartee, um, give and take, uh, is really unique. And I think you're quite right, Dean, that that's a big element in his success. And DeSantis goes on the air, and it looks like he's as stiff as a board, uh, nobody's going to be entertained by him. Let's go to um, Robert in Brooklyn. Hi, Robert. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You know, I was just thinking about Vivek Ramaswamy, possibly for vice president. Um, and I'm just wondering, first of all, do you think he's sincerely MAGA, uh, America first? And also in terms of what parameters should you look for in a vice president? In case of Vivek, it would be someone who could apprentice, who could run in 2000, you know, the next, you know, four years from now to run for president? Well, or I don't think Vivek would be a good idea. First of all, I think if the world has to learn, if they don't know it by now, they will never learn it. Running against Donald Trump is not a good way to get to his heart. <laughs> and no matter what Ramaswamy said on the campaign trail, he was on the ballot next to Trump and you can only vote for one. And that fact is not lost on Donald Trump. And Ramaswamy, is he sincere? I don't know. Well, he might be. And uh, I think he probably deserves consideration for a cabinet post. But you're not going to put him on the ticket for vice president. First of all, Trump needs to nominate a woman for vice president. Uh, he has finally gotten to a point. We haven't talked about this much, but I'll talk about it next week. 
where he's doing as well among women as he is among men. His favorability with women and men is approaching equality, having been very much unequal. And, uh, and he's need, he's got to solidify that by having a woman on his ticket. And I think that's going to be very important. Particularly since I think he may be running against a woman named Michelle Obama. Oh, God. Um, but the other, let's go to your other question, which is, what are the criteria he should use? Most of the time, a president needs to put a VP on his ticket who's going to help him win the election. In Trump's case, he doesn't have to do that. He's well ahead, and no woman is going to materially add to his strength. What he has to have is not a person that's going to drag him down and cost him the presidency. Think about the other VP nominees. Dick Cheney didn't really help Bush at all. Uh, There was no... Mondale didn't really, you know, help. Uh, Mondale wasn't effective as a VP, and right, and you can't say the quail made the least bit of difference for Bush. For Bush, uh, the, the the thing that you need to worry about is that the VP drags you down, like Sarah Palin dragged down John McCain to a point where he became a laughing stock and couldn't possibly pull it out. Uh, Mondale became tripped up in Geraldine Ferraro's scandal, which was unfair to Geraldine, but still, uh, he got mixed up with her husband, who some said was mob. I don't think so, but the point is that the VP cost him votes. And he also needs someone that could deal with the media, you know? Yeah. Someone that could really go back and forth when they go at her. That's the key thing. You want a vice president who plays defense well. Right. You used to think you need offense. You need a Spiro Agnew to rip the hell out of your opponent and have blood dripping from his jaws. You don't need that anymore. What you need now is someone who can play defense. And in my judgment, and you can't imagine, unless you played the game, how different the D.C. press corps is from the press corps out there covering local campaigns. Some people have said Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota. Come on, the South, to compare the South Dakota press with the D.C. press is like kindergarten against the Major League Baseball. In other words, you want, you want battle scars. You, you well, want, you want somebody who knows how to handle them. Right, exactly. Someone who can play big league ball. Right. And uh, Christy Noem and, and all the other ingenues who are trying for this job. So who are you talking They've never about? played big league ball. Sarah Huckabee. I'm talking about Sarah Huckabee. I love her. And I'm talking about um, Lake, uh, Christy yeah, Lake. she's tough. Because uh, she's played big league ball. And I don't think any of the other candidates who are women have. And I believe that the important thing in a vice president is don't let it cost you the election by a stupid mistake by a VP. And I think if he stays with Huckabee or Lake, I think he's dealing with two veteran in, in, invested figures who've learned how to survive in this environment. Thanks for your call, Robert. It was a good question. When we come back, we'll talk about the biggest change that's going on. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I yeah, premature? Got, a yeah, early, got a little more. Early. Okay, so let me go on. There is a gigantic case going to the Supreme Court, and it's got nothing to do with Trump and nothing to do with any of the issues surrounding him. Uh, they'll rule on whether or not he can be on the ballot, and it'll probably be a unanimous ruling. But that's not the one I'm talking about. 
the case that's coming up is testing the Chevron defense. Uh, when, when there was, uh, major questions about Chevron and Arthur Anderson and, and, and related also to the oil spill and was Chevron liable and so on. And those who attacked Chevron said the government has said that Chevron was misbehaved, that it did stuff it shouldn't have done, and we have to be deferential to the government. And the impact of the Chevron decision went, as, which is, makes it one of the landmarks of the Supreme Court. I would say it's one of the ten most important decisions the courts ever made. It says that the courts must defer to the agency's interpretation of federal law. So on things like artificial intelligence, cryptocurrency, environmental protections, and more, you the you can't the judge can't put himself instead of the agency administrators. You have to go with the experts in the agencies. Now conservatives are saying that's bull. That's what protects the deep state. Oh sure. That that basically enshrines the head of the FDA, the head of the ICC, the head of the FAA, with the power of a judge, and it really makes them or the the uh, the um, EPA, and it gives them a power they don't deserve. So a majority of the judges now are sympathetic to conservative lawyers who urge them to either outright overrule the Chevron Doctrine or limited scope. Gorsuch says under the current Chevron Doctrine, the government always wins. And he says that clearly means we need something new. Gorsuch says, should that be a clue that something needs to be fixed here? And the court's three liberal judges, Sotomayor, Kagan, Jackson, Brown, uh, all said, no, no, we have to defer to subject matter experts at the agency uh, when ambiguous, complicated policy issues arise rather than having a judge attempt to draw the line. Uh, Brown Jackson said, my concern is that if we take away something like Chevron, the court will suddenly become a policymaker. She said, who do I trust to tell me whether a drug is a dietary supplement or not? I trust the FDA, Health and Human Services. I don't trust a district court judge. So she said, judges should know what they don't know. So this key question of whether to override the Chevron Doctrine is coming up to the Supreme Court. And at the moment, it looks like, from the oral arguments, that there are six judges that want to get rid of Chevron. And if that happens, that is one of the most important historical events in our jurisprudence, because it really frees the federal bureaucracy from being subservient to the courts. And now they have to listen to one guy, the President of the United States. And this will give Trump a vast amount of new power. Vast. Okay. Okay. When we come back, we'll talk about, uh, about the Biden scandals and the new developments. And This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Uh, let me amplify a little more and explain a little more the Chevron Doctrine, because it's going to be one of the key things that we have to look at. The, the Chevron Doctrine basically says, when you're dealing with complex issues, 
like the environment or drugs or foods or stuff like that. If you, and you're a judge, don't try to interpose your opinion over the experts. Go to the experts. Listen to what the experts say. Hit it. Return the sender. Return the sender. I gave a letter to the postman. So return to sender. They say give the agency leeway to do whatever it wants. And the result of that is that the EPA becomes a total dictator about environmental regulations. Total. They don't have to consult Congress. They can do whatever they like. And even, for example, the statute on EPA is an anti-pollution statute. And that's been used to deal with all the global warming issues. But carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It's something we exhale and inhale. It's in the air. But they're using a statute designed to stop nitrous oxide and particulates that are bad for you to regulate carbon dioxide. And the reason they're doing it is they don't want to go back to Congress. They want to use the existing authority that they have. A loophole. The EPA said, said a couple of years ago that we're in charge of stopping water pollution. Okay. So they said whenever you have a stream or a brook or basically anything other than, than a leaky faucet, that is a waterway, and that ultimately makes its way into the <laughs> reservoirs and the oceans and the lakes and everything, so we have to regulate it. And uh, it's such a stretch, such an amazing reach. And the courts have always said, well, the Chevron Doctrine, this is, the, this is their expertise, it's uh-huh. what these guys do for a living, they know it better than I do, and I'm not going to impose my view on them. So if they cry a lot, that's the waterway. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the Chevron Doctrine now is up for review, and uh, I hope that they get rid of it. I hope they return it to sender, because it'll be the big step you need to stake, take to get rid of the deep state. There are really two things we have to do to defeat the deep state. One is reverse the Chevron decision, Chevron rule, and the other is to infor- to to get a new executive order from Trump, uh, called Section Eight, I think it's called Section Eight, which is the executive order that gives him the power to fire or hire federal employees without having to go through the civil service system, and he passed that to deal with the Veterans Administration. And now he wants to do it for the whole government. Those two things, curbing the judiciary by getting rid of the Chevron doctrine, I'm mean, curbing the agencies by getting rid of Chevron, and on the other hand, uh, appointing political appointees to these agencies so they follow the policies of the president. Now there is new developments in the, uh, in the non-ending scandals of Joe Biden. Uh, I wrote about this in my book, Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. Uh, Biden flew back from Ukraine in 2014, I think. And he flew back with Jake Sullivan, who was his national security advisor. And, uh, the, and Jake Sullivan, after the flight, said that there is a high-ranking government official Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. A, a leaker said he was with Sullivan on the flight. Right. And Sullivan 
basically told him he was going to bias everything in favor of Burisma because Hunter Biden was on the board. <clears throat> and the leaker wouldn't mention who he had in mind. So the other day, somebody asked, asked him, asked Jake Sullivan, point blank, if he was part of an influence peddling conspiracy to benefit Biden's family. Uh, and a, the accusation was made by a former White House stenographer named McCormick, who flew on the plane with uh, with Sullivan that day. Sullivan gave a single word answer, no, and said stenographer Mike McCormick was incorrect to allege that he corruptly assisted the Biden family business interests in Ukraine. Now, what was happening was that Biden was flying back on Air Force Two from visiting Ukraine while he was vice president on April 21st, 2014. That was a few days after Hunter Biden had been secretly put on the board of Burisma, the corrupt Ukrainian oil company, energy company. And he had no experience in energy, but he got on the board. And, uh, and the, and that led to Biden and then Obama biasing policies in favor of Ukraine to help Hunter Biden. This is a long story. I shouldn't have started before the break, but we'll come back to it after the break. Yeah, that'll work. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro and sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hello, Dick. Okay, so get in your time machine and go back to April 16th, uh, 2015. There's a dinner in Washington, D.C. at Cafe Milano where Joe Biden attended. And in attendance were a small group, including Hunter Biden, Burisma Executive Vadim Pozensky, a three-person delegation from Kazakhstan, and the Russian billionaire Ivela Batuna and her husband, the former mayor of Moscow, Yuri Luzov. Pardon my mispronunciation. Oh, my goodness All gracious. Names. <laughs> but that's a hell of a dinner. I don't know what they ate for dessert. But what they had for the main course is bribing the president. Huh. And now Biden wasn't president yet. He was vice president. But Obama had assigned him jurisdiction over Eastern Europe. Obama said, look, anything that comes up about Eastern Europe, I want you to go to Joe Biden first. And Biden was using this as the basis of of bribes that he was getting. Uh, this meeting formed the basis of the bombshell in the Hunter Biden laptop that was released in October of 2020. Uh, Burisma paid Hunter paid $3.5 million to a firm associated with Hunter Biden and, uh, and, and in order to steer them through the regulatory process and also to paint them over in white so they'd be okay while they were under criminal investigation in Ukraine. And at the same time, uh, 
Batrina, the woman, and another Russian billionaire with seeking out property investments with Hunter, uh, and have, and paid him, uh, a huge amount of money, reportedly $40 million, to find properties that they could buy. Uh, and coincidentally, when President Biden imposed sanctions on Russia businesses, uh, that were cooperating with the, with the, uh, that were operating in Ukraine against the government, he exempted those folks from the sanctions when obviously they should have applied to them, applied to them. Interesting. How convenient. Now, last week an IRS whistleblower who supervised the tax investigation of Hunter Biden for three years informed Congress that he wants to brief legislators on an alleged cover-up involving preferential treatment and alleged false mm-hmm. testimony to Congress by Attorney General Merrick Garland about the independent Weiss being, about the independent prosecutor Weiss not bringing charges uh, against uh, Hunter Biden with the approval of DOJ leaders. NBC News reported that there's a growing frustration among FBI agents among the sluggish pace of Weiss's charging decision after the Bureau reportedly finished most of its work on the case. In other words, the DOJ had finished Reviewing whether they ought to be charging, uh, the, whether they, whether they ought to be charging Hunter Biden, and they just continued to delay it, they didn't fumble the ball. And on Thursday, the House Judiciary Committee revealed that former CIA acting director Mike Morrell said in the closed door deposition, the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, at the time a Biden campaign advisor, is the guy who inspired the letter by 51 former spy agency officials that falsely suggested that the post's reporting on documents from Hunter's laptop was the byproduct of Russian disinformation. That memo that we now know that it emanated from Blinken, the future Secretary of State, who, remember, was on the payroll of the Penn-Biden Institute that was funded by China, the future Secretary of State was being paid by China. No. And that just that letter from the 51 former intelligence agency officials torpedoed the whole Hunter Biden laptop thing, discredited it right before the debate. Um, Trump was never able to really articulate that. And the stuff that was on the laptop was dismissed by the media as fiction. Well, of course. And, in fact, it was totally nonfiction. In fact, when Trump talks about the election of 2020 being rigged, I don't believe it was mainly rigged at the vote counting tables in Pennsylvania and Michigan. I think it was rigged by the letter by those 51 agency executives that said, don't pay attention to the laptop. Mm. Because he couldn't, it was two weeks before the election. He couldn't get people to focus on the laptop. And if they knew then what they knew now, there's no way they would have voted for Biden. Tentacles. And and I think that the that that really was the crucial element in fixing the election. And I think that's really what Trump ought to talk about more. Uh, and he did bring it up a couple of times. He did. He I did. Think under your advice. Yeah, he's uh, been. And I think that's true. But, uh, but has to... these new revelations are very important. The idea that a guy who is now the national security advisor in the United States is the guy who told the, the who organized the letter. No, I'm sorry, the Secretary of State 
in the United States is the guy who organized the letter discrediting the laptop uh, in the middle of the 2020 campaign is outrageous. And uh, Blinken should be impeached. And it is such it, that he literally, the future Secretary of State, told the media, ignore this, uh, when in fact it was the most important story of the election. Um, now, this is a terrifying story. Um, China is at it again. Not through the Wuhan lab, but through some other lab. China is producing and has produced a deadly virus in a lab that has a 100% kill rate among mice that were given it. Uh, that there's a humanized mice, uh, mice that have human, human genes, characteristics. Got it. So in a Wuhan-esque study, Chinese scientists are experimenting with a mutant COVID-19 strain that has a 100% kill streak in humanized mice. The deadly virus, known as GX-P2V, attacked the brains of the mice that were engineered to reflect similar genetic makeup of people, according to a study shared last week out of Beijing. They're carefully keeping the name of the person releasing the study out, but we have to get it. Mm-hmm. The study underscores a spillover risk of GXP2V into humans and provides a unique model for understanding the pathogenic mechanisms of the SARS-2 virus, the authors of the report wrote. Mm. The deadly virus is a mutated version of a gene that is a coronavirus cousin that was reportedly delivered in Malayan, uh, in Malaya in 2017, three years before the pandemic. All the mice that were infected with the virus died within just eight days, and the researchers noted a surprisingly rapid death rate. It infected the lungs, bones, eyes, trachea, and brains of dead mice the last of which was severe enough to cause the death of the animals. And this is terrifying. In the days before their death, the mice quickly lost weight, exhibited a hunched posture, and moved extremely slug- sluggishly. And most eerie, their eyes turned completely white the day before they died. This is the first study to report a 100% mortality rate in mice wow. uh, from the coronavirus. Eureka, science strikes again. Now, now hold on. It's, it's GXP2V. Yes, that's what like they're that. calling it. GX you know. underscored P2V. Right. But uh, this is the new COVID. Uh, this is the new pandemic we're going to have to face, also made in China. Now, will they stop making this stuff? I know. What's For God's sakes, why do they have to make something? That will destroy the human race. So they can figure out how not to, right? Yeah, That's sure. what they claim. Yeah, right. But Great. in fact, it's with government funding that they're screwing around with viruses to make them more lethal and more transmissible to human beings. And uh, this is, is just crazy. i got to say this, Dick. This morning I'm watching the news, and I don't know who this guy that came on the news. I, I don't know if he was a political guy or not. That... Oh, we think there's something coming out in a couple of months, a virus that's going to be a lot worse. I bet he was talking about, and they called it the X virus. Yeah. That's why I mentioned GX. That, that could be it. Oh, my goodness. Um, so hit it. Oh, the song, man. I'm going to kill you. I'm simply going to kill you. 
So, so we need Trump. Yeah. So, so what? This is an advance warning uh, of what might happen before the election. Exactly. This virus could be released <laughs> and could screw up the election just like it did in 2020. And but this is even more deadly, uh, and this will be even more significant. Isn't it clear that this is biological warfare being waged by China against the United States? Yeah, I think so. Isn't it clear that when you release a virus that's going to kill everybody it infects and spreads rapidly, that this is a provocation that can best be answered by nuclear weapons? Are we really going to put up with this and let China wipe us out with biological weapons that it's developing? And when we get a leak like this about, not a leak, it's a research paper about a brand new virus and good for them, uh, they've developed a strain that is 100% kills humanized mice. Oh, my goodness uh, gracious. Attacking their brains, their lungs, their heart, and everything else. Uh, doesn't that give you a clue that something's going on here? Now, the culprits here are not only the Chinese government. They're also the research establishment that includes Fauci that sanctions and permits this kind of research and the government agencies that fund it. What business do we, this is like Bridge of the River Kwai. What business do we have making a virus that can kill us and can destroy the human race? And when we saw the effect that it can have when it's released, when we saw the effect of COVID, why are we going through this and doing the exact same damn thing again? Let's do some calls here. Let's go to uh, Eduardo in Tampa. Yeah, Dick, I got a VP choice for you. Winsome Sears, uh, lieutenant governor from Virginia. She was in the Marines and has some education background. He's a black guy, right? No, she's a lady. Oh, a Winsome woman. Sears. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, but look, my problem with that, Eduardo, is she may be good, but you won't know till she gets out in front of the national media and we see how she can handle herself. Uh, this is, this doesn't wear well. When Trump comes out with a VP choice, everybody in the country, every liberal in the country is going to be gunning for her. Uh, they can't beat Trump, so they're going to try and beat his running mate. And unless you get somebody that's been through it, that has survived it, that has immune, whose immune system can kill it, you're taking your life in your hands. Let me tell you a little bit about how Sarah Palin was selected. Uh, I had a lot to do with that. I went to uh, Alaska on a cruise with the National Review, and the we docked in Juneau, the capital. And uh, Sarah Palin, who was governor at the time, invited the speakers on the National Review cruise to come to the governor's mansion for a reception. So I wanted to go, and my wife, Eileen, said, what are you going for? Come on. If the dog catcher invited you, you'd go. Anything <laughs> to interrupt the vacation. I'm going to be sitting here in the sun reading a Danielle Steele novel, and you can go over there. You, you, know, you, know, you know, she's right. Yeah, I have but, to say, I'm with you for three years. She's right. But why don't you... Why don't you get rid of it and 
and play, and why can't why can't you relax on this cruise? Because you're Dick Morris. But I said, no, no, I want to meet this woman. I'm She's Dick the governor of Alaska. And Wayne said, it's Alaska, for God's sake. Governor Podunk called you, you'd go and do it. So I went to the event. And, because you're Dick Morris. And Sarah Palin was really good. She was pretty. She was beautiful. She was attractive. She spoke well. And and I really liked her. And uh, then after the cruise was over, a few a year or two later, one of the top Republican consultants, Charlie Black, who was working with McCain's team on choosing a VP, called me and said, who do you think we should look at? And I said, well, I just met the governor of Alaska, a woman named Sarah Palin. And she was very impressive. She really was was terrific. And uh, she's attractive, she's articulate, she has a really earthy way of putting stuff, and I think McCain could use loosening up, and she could be very good. And then I said to him, the same thing I said to Sarah that night, I said, they're going to have to choose a woman for vice president, because the, because the other side will probably choose a woman. And they don't have any Republican women. Nancy Castlebaum, the senator from uh, Kansas, is is basically a Democrat. Votes like them. Uh, Olympia Snow and uh, and the other senator from Maine are are also very liberal. Uh, there's basically no conservative Republican woman in the Senate. And uh, and and I said, and you got to choose somebody. So I think you should look at Sarah Palin. And what a disaster. I mean, she was a very good candidate. I loved her. I loved the speech she made. I loved the, uh, the idea of, the, the, the ideas she put out there. But she was a disaster because she couldn't handle the media. And I believe unless you go with somebody that has been on a test drive and you know is okay, you're taking your life in your hands. Like when I drive with you when you drive, when you're driving? Yeah, kind of yeah, like that. I'm doing that. Uh huh. Thank you, Eduardo. <laughs> When we come back, we'll go to lost and found. The Defense Department has lost track of $1 billion of weapons sent to Ukraine. Oh, great. Let's go to lost and found and see if they can find it. <laughs> this is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro here and sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Before we tell you about the Pentagon's lost and found, Dave on Long Island has a VP pick for us. Let's hear it. Hi, uh, Dave. Good afternoon, Dick and Doug. Thanks Thank for taking the call. Uh Previous caller just mentioned about Winston Sears uh, from uh, she's a lieutenant governor, I guess, of what of Virginia. Right. Uh, she would be a great pick, except that she's a native of Jamaica. She was born in oh, Jamaica. OK. All right. As a VP. Pick, Obama got away with it. Can't become yeah, OK. <laughs> Good. Who are you for, Dave? Oh, Trump all the way. No, I, mean, but I like a VP check. A VP. Uh, I was thinking Ben Carson would be a great I choice. Like yeah, because I, I think like he would He'd be good, a lot of minority he's votes, woman. and he's a very. Yeah, let me but, let me just say this about a black running mate. I believe that Trump has to pick a woman, but I don't think he has to pick a black woman. 
because uh, the the vote he's getting among blacks, which is very large, is not because of black candidates. The record is very clear that blacks do not necessarily vote because there's a black candidate. Obama for president is one thing, but we've had all kinds of black candidates on ballot and hasn't necessarily helped. So if he wants to pick a black candidate because she's great and good and will handle the media well, that's fine, but you don't have to. Let's go to... Well, well, well let me ask you, Dick, but to pick a woman, that kind of goes against what we've been talking about for a while, that he doesn't really need to pick someone yeah. to get the vote. He needs to pick someone that's Yeah, that's, that's basically true, and I believe that strongly. But, you know, this guy has been running 10 points behind among women where he is among oh, men I see. for his whole career, and it's time to close that gap a little bit. Okay, got and it. And if he can find a good, articulate pro-life woman to put on the ticket, I think he should do good, that. Good, okay. Let's go to George in Rockland, who's also talking about BP. Yes, I do. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Can I just raise a different issue before I talk about my VP? Sure. Okay, Iran, all right? You know, Iran is a big, big problem in this part of the world here, okay? Yeah. And they're using all those proxies here. Now, what, I mean, they have the coalition uh, fighting the Houthis here. What if some, by mistake, uh, one or two bombs will drop on one of Iran's oil fields. This is going to send a really big message, yeah. okay? I, I see what you're saying, George, and that worked during the ISIS offensive when we uh, we destroyed ISIS. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to bomb an oil field. We just impose an oil embargo. Yeah. And we stop them from shipping the stuff out through the, uh, through the Gulf of Oman. Right. Uh, this is not a big problem. Trump cut off the flow of Iranian oil to the rest of the world very effectively. Iran's national, Iran's reserves, currency reserves were down to $8 billion, which is about the size of Haiti. And, uh, when they finally were able to export again, now it's up to 80 billion. Yeah, but thanks, we don't Joe. have to do that. We can just, just stop them from shipping that stuff out to the Gulf. Now, there's a new report that's worth paying attention to uh, by the uh, Inspector General for the Pentagon, and they are required to keep tabs because of Congress on weapons sales to Ukraine uh, during from February to June of last year. And according to a Pentagon Inspector General's report, the Defense Department's enhanced end-use monitoring system required for certain types of small arms, most susceptible to being intercepted and rerouted to the black market. And they found that these defense articles, including javelin missiles, javelin launch units, stinger missiles, stinger grip stocks, lethal miniature aerial missile systems called switchblades, were missing. They didn't know where they were. Uh, they were supposedly shipped to Ukraine, but they, they can't verify that they went there. So if you know anybody like your next door neighbor who has a javelin missile <laughs> or a javelin launch unit or a stinger missile or a stinger <laughs> grip stocks or a lethal miniature aerial missile called switchblades, call us. I mean, if you see something, say something. And don't just let your neighbor play on <laughs> with his lawn with this stuff. What a stinger. Yeah, this is kind of dangerous, and you shouldn't let that happen. So if you see something, for God's sakes, say something. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not right. 
Hi, Sandra from New Jersey. How are you doing? Hello, Sandra. Hello, Dick and Doug. I have a few things I hope I could say. I wanted to add to that alarming uh, information about the mice in China. They, the, the labs are in Beijing and Nanjing, and as you described, those poor mice had agonizing deaths. But the most important thing, the experts around the world fear that they lack adequate biosafety measures, and the, the initial report said it, it lacked that. So we're in trouble with that. Yep. Yep. So, this so is a COVID coming, coming around the corner from oh, China. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's I outrageous that they did not, after they, they said that they had a lab leak, uh, and now they're not preparing against that. But go ahead, Sandra. I can't wait for the rest. So that, uh, okay, two more things. So the, the next thing, last week you said that um, Obama enabled Biden by giving him those countries to handle. Yeah. Now, we all believe that Obama knew all the money he was making, and, and he probably was in on it, too. So then sure. we worry about now Michelle becoming president. I mean, she <laughs> we're going to get more of the same with these two people. Yeah. So, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think that I don't think Obama kept meticulous track of how much money Joe Biden was really? making. Really? You don't think that? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I, think, I, that, I think Biden concealed it. Uh, and he hit, he hit it as a family thing, and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, and I don't think Obama would have let him get away with it straight. There was a time when Obama mentioned something to Biden that was publicly reported, and that could be it, but I don't think so. And I think you have to realize that Obama and Michelle made their money from a book, from their book deals and their TV deal. And they're rolling in money from that. You mean after the president? Yeah, after the president. Yeah. So what does that have to do so, with So I'm not sure that they're uh, corrupt. I but, don't know. You know, we'll see, Dr. Sandra. Sandra's got one more thing, I think. What else you got? What, what, what you got? One more thing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's been floating around about Nikki Haley maybe having two affairs. And I did a little research this morning, and I, I have a funny feeling it was quite true. She had two, two affairs, one with Will Folks and another by the name of uh, Larry Merchant, and they signed affidavits saying that uh, they were quite involved with her. But that, look, whatever she did, she did, but that's not my point. The point is, don't you think the voters should know? Because maybe some voters don't like that. They want someone who doesn't do that. That's all I'm saying. I'm not now saying- some know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's anybody's business. I don't think it should be in the public domain. Um, we should know it simply because it undermines her electability. But come on, by the time you get to her pro-China policies, right, right, her crippling social security, we don't need security, to go that way. Her raising the retirement <laughs> age, she opposed letting uh, banning the Chinese immigrants from coming in after COVID. Um, uh, talking you, about slavery, yeah, answer causes slavery. slavery. Yeah, sure. When you get up to that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're okay with the with the. She's dead on five other accounts. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. Thank I like you, the Sandra. call. Let's go to Monique on Long Island. Uh, it's great that your show is now two hours, Dick. Yay! Um, yes. So the I just <laughs> I keep coming back to energy because it's so important. It's uh, for example, offshore wind works only forty-two percent of the time. Uh, solar panels work thirteen percent of the time. So the, the the shift, the move, the push by President Biden and far left extremists to transi- transition us from fossil fuels to renewable energies is effectively a policy to shift us to no energy. My That's question right. for you, Dick, is 
is are, is the public starting to learn about this, the perils of renewable energy and what President Biden is trying to do to us? I think they are, but I think they have a whole lot more to learn. Uh, and I think that your point is, is very good. Uh, and also, there's another issue about uh, about the batteries, solar batteries and turbine <laughs> yeah. batteries. Many of those batteries have lithium, and they're based on lithium, which is a rare earth mineral. Yeah, sure. And 20% of the world's lithium, including all, almost much of it in uh, in cars yeah. like Tesla, is mined by slave child labor in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in, DRC. In and it is probably the single most inhuman conditions in the world. And all of the groovy Tesla owners who are busy recycling and conserving and all of that should realize that when they are driving their car, uh, it's like there's a battery that powers the car, but imagine troops of child laborers pulling your car. Yeah, right. While they're uh, hugging a tree, they should hug a couple of kids. And uh, But there are all kinds of issues yeah. like that. The big issue that I'm focused on that I think people are not realizing is that the power in the world, the huge power that we need to be able to get good things to happen in the world, is basically energy. Uh, no longer is it a serious question. We don't need Vietnams or Iraqs or Afghanistans. Uh, we don't need any of that. What we need is oil as a weapon. Because yeah. oil is the crucial international weapon. And the United States produces 12 million barrels of it a day, more than anybody else in the world. But they could, we could produce 20 or even more. And if we lowered the price of oil by producing as much as we can, Iran wouldn't have five cents to give to terrorism. Uh, the, uh, Russia would not, no longer be a superpower. That's right. China, which produces only 3 million barrels of energy a day but consumes 10 to 12, would be begging for oil and wouldn't, couldn't get it from Iran like it does now. Mm. And the whole world would no longer be dangerous. Uh, this, right. is the, so this is almost a panacea for eliminating terrorism and international threats. And uh, while there may be some impact on climate change from fossil fuels, uh, it's not clear that it's entirely caused by that. Uh, it's not clear at all about that. And uh, and I think that for us to cripple ourselves and not be able to use that power is absurd, is ridiculous. And you're so right for raising that, Monique, and it is absolutely essential in our construct and understanding what's happening. Thank you, Monique. Thank you. Thanks, Monique. So when we come back... There's a great new idea that surfaced in the Republicans in the Senate by Senator Lankford from Oklahoma, which is he and Schumer have gotten together and cut a border deal that he's trying to sell to the Republicans to increase the number of green cards by 50,000 a year and to allow 150,000 illegal immigrants every month to come into the United States. This gentleman is James Lankford, Republican of Oklahoma. Wasn't that the so, same guy selling that bridge in New York? Yeah, right. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, uh, I mean, this is horrible. So we'll talk about this more when we come back. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am. 
Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show. This is Dick Morris with Doug DePone, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. You know, the crime problem and the immigration problem in our country are the same problem. They're two halves of the exact same issue. Uh, there's a study that just came out from the Center for Immigration Reform, uh, which is a fantastic group that gives you real information about immigration. I've had some of their execs on the show. And they said, how much have Biden's policies increased crime by illegal immigrants in the United States? How much have, how many crimes are there that we can trace that were done by illegal immigrants who would have been barred under Trump and were let in under Biden? It was directly Biden's fault. And they said there's been a 57% decrease in the arrests of foreign, of aliens, of, uh, of, criminal aliens, people who come here illegally and commit crimes, a 57% decrease in their arrests. So they're not getting them. And a 44% decrease in detainer requests, saying detain this guy, he's dangerous. And this is what we could trace, forget about what we can't trace. A 67% decrease in deportations and a 55% cut in convictions of immigration-related crimes. So when you look at the crime that's going on, you look at that issue, that is the immigration issue. They're not two separate issues. They're the same damn thing. Right. And the people who are committing these crimes are here illegally. They hear they won't be deported because the U.S. doesn't do that anymore. Uh, they don't get prosecuted. They don't get arrested. And this is not an immigration problem. This is a crime problem. And we have to understand that the leading cause of crime we're facing is that we're letting a lot of people into this country that we should not let in. Now, I mentioned before we went to the break about this wonderful guy, James Lankford, L-A-N-K-F-O-R-D, allegedly Republican from Oklahoma. And uh, if you're feeling like calling Congress, give him a call. His number is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. I'll repeat it in a minute. He and Chuck Schumer have gotten together and cooked up a border deal that he's been designated by the Republicans in the Senate as their point man on immigration. And they've asked him to negotiate with Schumer for a package on immigration reform. And Lankford's come is, is a real beauty. The package he's been negotiating with Majority Leader Schumer includes, one, a substantial increase in green cards, adding 50,000 more per year. Two, (laughs) allowing the entry of 5,000 immigrants per day, illegal immigrants per day, into the United States, or 150,000 per month. So over a year, you're talking about almost 2 million new illegal immigrants being allowed to come into the United States. Right. Provision of work permits to adult children of H-1B visa holders. Now, what that means is H-1B is a program where you can come into the United States if you can show that you have a skill that we very much need or you can fill a job that we now can't fill. Okay, I get that. But why give a work permit to their children? Uh, why do that? How did that help us? 
the immediate issuance of work permits to every illegal alien who is released from custody. When you get you get out of jail free card, get a work permit along with a, a job free card. Yeah, government funded government funded legal representation for unaccompanied alien children and aliens deemed mentally incompetent. When you say government funded, you mean us funding? Yeah, by the uh, by the uh, by the legal not legal aid society, the civil equivalent of it. My wife worked for, right, right. and uh, and and it means that the government lawyers have hired to defend them, and it means that you have experts and really good attorneys doing procedural motions, doing all kinds of stuff to delay the process, to gum it up. It literally is is screwing up the whole process because of their capacity for delay and for all kinds of stuff like that. And then restricting parole for individuals who enter the country illegally between designated ports of entry, restricting parole. So anything that Biden isn't doing now... Langford will permit him to do. And this is actually under consideration by the Republicans in the Senate. The Republican senators are a bunch of rhinos. And the idea that they're considering this, that we're engulfed in a massive crisis of illegal immigration. What is the Republican upswing to, to dealing with this? Well, there was some hope by the Republicans that by being nice to illegal immigrants and encouraging them, we could get more Hispanic votes. And for and right after Romney was defeated in 2012, they commissioned an audit at the Republican National Committee of why we lost. And the, they couldn't say the real reason, which is that Romney's schmuck. <laughs> but, but they... But they, so they made this up? But they had they issued a report that said the reason is that we didn't get any Hispanic votes. Is that and your they, political technical term? <laughs> and, and they said that the reason that we didn't get any immigrant votes, any Hispanic votes, is because of our immigration policy. Right. Uh-huh. We needed to change that. And that system in the Republican Party, starting in 2012 and ending in 2020 when Trump announced his candidacy, when he came down that escalator and made illegal immigration his issue as a Republican, opposing amnesty and saying that these folks shouldn't be allowed into the country and that they're causing our crime problem and they're destroying America, that was a key moment. And the Republican Party came to realize that the people who had come here illegally were just as opposed to illegal immigration as the rest of us were because they knew who was coming in. They met those folks in Mexico and El Salvador Guatemala and Dominican Republic. They Uh knew all about them. Uh And uh, they knew that these were not good actors, that these were not good guys. And they dealt with uh, what's the gang called MS-13, I think. Uh Uh, They dealt with those folks. They voted against them, and now they're following them into the U.S., and they said, the hell with that. So the Republican Party has made a fundamental intellectual shift under under uh, Trump. They've gone from saying we've got to downplay the immigration issue because it's going to hurt us with Latinos to saying we have to play up the immigration issue because it's going to help us with Latinos. So that's going to ruin them. That's going to hurt them at one point. So um, I can't believe that Lankford is going along with that. How terrible, absolutely terrible. Where is he from, this guy? Oklahoma. Idiot. And he's not the reason God created Oklahoma, believe it or not. <laughs>
good country song. <laughs> Let's go to Pamela in New Jersey. Hey, Hi, Pamela. Um, Hi, Pamela. Hey, um, I've got uh, two points. If uh, if I could just say the, the two points, yes. I'll be quick. Um, what you're mentioning about, uh, I go to a laundromat with a Panamanian manager. I'm friendly with her. And um, she speaks, you know, English, and she translates a lot for for uh, the people going there. It's like a little voting center. I can tell where everybody's going. Venezuelans, they they all end up there. And um, they, she is livid. Um, they have we have Nigerian, you know, African uh, uh, like drug addicts around the laundromat, and she's scared to death. And uh, I actually talked a few people into uh, changing their vote. And the Venezuelans are definitely voting for Trump. And, uh, How about changing the laundromat too? <laughs> <laughs> you know, changing your under. You know, I've, I've heard of laundering money, but <laughs> this, this is a stretch. Uh, Dick Morris. Yeah, absolutely. I also Go have on. a suggestion. I also have a suggestion for a VP. Yeah. Uh, she is a lovely woman. Comes across really well. Communicates well. I love is her. Not is not out to outshine Trump which is very important. So you pick a young person, and they're going to try to compete and, and be the star, and then he'll end up with the same Brutus against his Caesar. She's a good communicator. She has a, uh international public affairs. And I tell you, I heard her give a speech one day, wrapping up everything that's going on with the communists and everything. It was beautiful. And I, I uh, made So tell me your name. Okay, Monica Crowley. Okay. I love her. Now, Doug DePiro loves her. Love her. I was giving I a speech. Her. We met her a couple of times, and she was just brilliant. I was giving a speech at the 45-47 club here yeah. in Florida uh -huh. for Trump, and she was the speaker before me. And uh, as she was speaking, I was slowly ripping up my notes for my speech. Right, we were rewriting. Because she said everything I was going to say. She said everything. Absolutely. Had a, and I had to rewrite, like, bullet words. Yeah, gave you. right. Me? I gave you new notes for my speech. Right, yeah. while she was speaking, it was, yeah. it was funny. And she's I terrific. love her. She's wonderful. But she's the great. reason why you told me. You know how she started? She wrote. She got hold, She got in touch with Richard Nixon after he left the White House, and she became kind of his his uh, memoir writer. And uh, she was spent a lot of time with him. She wrote a lot of books called Nixon in Winter and Portrait of Him as the Former President, and she was just terrific. And then Trump selected her to be the Under Secretary of. Something, yeah, 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 health or something, yeah, yeah. but and she did a did a very good Great. job. So she'd be terrific. The problem again, I have. Oh, no, he yelled at me last week. You need somebody it. who's been handling the media, right. and uh, the stage appearances you get when you give a speech to a friendly crowd that doesn't count. You get someone who isn't used to handling the media, and they go out and they get massacred. But thank you very much for your. Observation, Pamela. I really yeah, Pam, appreciate it. And Dick yelled at me a couple of weeks ago. Come on, Monica Crowley. No. <laughs> yeah. I do love her, though. I got to tell you. She's fabulous. Thank you. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I Hey, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Have you noticed that your car insurance rates are rising? 
motor vehicle. I mean, it's hard with inflation to notice that when you've got like a commercial when you got stuff with your grocery and and your rent and everything. But motor vehicle insurance premiums skyrocketed by twenty percent in December from a year ago, the largest increase since the mid seventies. Wow. The premiums have risen persistently all year on a monthly basis, climbing about 1.5% per month. This is roughly on par with the average monthly increase over the last year, a rate that exceeds all monthly increases prior to the pandemic. Wow. Now, the deal with car insurance rates is that they were very high, and they were high because there was no effective way of fighting car theft. And uh, the so cars were being stolen all over the place. And the cops took said it was like, you know, a victimless crime. They wouldn't pursue it. Eileen and I parked our car, which was a BMW, in, uh, a, in a garage in Chelsea. And it was one of those, we lived in the city then, and it was one of those garages where you open it with the, with the key and you go in to yourself and then you drive your car out. Um, so we parked there for like a year, and when at the end of the year, the garage said, listen, we need a key to your car. And I said, why do you need to do that? I'm parking it in a place where nobody else can come. And they said, it's the new policy. So we gave them the key to the car, and the next damn week, the car was stolen. Ah, the guy that said it yeah. was setting you up. The car was, uh, was stolen. Uh, and boy, the, the, boy. that's when they used to shop for certain cars because they needed right. certain and cars. Chop shop. Stuff like that. I always, said, I always said these guys with the chop shops, that's what they called it. Yeah. Cut up the cars. It's so much work to take the car apart, take the wheels off the motor. You get a job at a garage making more money and you don't go to jail. I never understood so, that. Also, uh, insurance. I have classic car insurance on all my cars because I have the old cars. It's by far the best you can get. But probably expensive as no, hell. No, oh. it's the cheap. That's, that's it. It's cheap. There's, there's restrictions or whatnot, how okay. far you can drive. Uh, keep that for the ad. Yeah, right. Uh, you get them on that. Now, um, anyway, so after our car was stolen, uh, <clears throat> I, I said I posted a sign on the garage. Our car, was a BMW, was stolen by this garage. Don't park your car here. <laughs> so I got a call from the precinct, the cops, and Eileen took it, and it said, we think someone, maybe your husband, put a sign on the garage saying the car was stolen, and you can't do that. that that's against the law to accuse somebody like that. And Eileen, ever helpful, said, okay, he'll be back in two hours, and he'll hold a press conference. And you can explain to the media why you don't arrest the guys that stole the car when we know who stole it. We know the garage. We know the guy. We know the name of the guy, but you don't arrest him. You just arrest my husband for talking about ah, it. Ah, very good, Eileen. So she did that. and um, They shut up. And, and oh, I forgot to tell you, when I put the notice up, I also put a padlock on the garage. <laughs> 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 and said you can't, and did that the Friday of a Labor Day weekend. And I said, wow. forget about getting your car this weekend. They'll steal it. That's very non-Dick Morris of you. Well, I was very mad. Yeah, you're not the type to do that. Yeah. Well, I was very mad. Wow, anyway. Dick Morris showing a little so, gumption. So after the, uh, after the new technology was developed that stops car theft, what they call it, OnStar or something like oh, that? Oh, that's great, OnStar. Sure. Yeah. Explain how that, what that is. Well, I, I don't know OnStar that well. If, 
somebody steals your car, they could shut the car down. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that type of thing. You could, if you lock your keys out of the car, you call them, they'll open up your locks. It's yeah. that type of thing. And, and it basically made car theft impossible. And it, it technologically advanced and made it very hard to steal a car. As opposed to what they used to do, which is gone in 60 seconds. Remember yeah, that? The movie, yeah. right? So um, that seemed to stop it. Now car insurance rates are rising again. And I don't know why. Uh, there's no increase in motor vehicle accidents. There's no increase in fatalities. Uh, there may just be an increase in profits of car insurance firms. But I thought it was worth raising this issue on the air. Maybe there's a lot of extra... A lot more claims being made these well, days for accidents. Was, and other, I don't know. I, I think one possibility is that they've legalized pot <laughs> and that that's going to increase car accidents. Uh, are you making a joke? Or no, 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 no. Oh, really? In Colorado, uh, where they legalized it completely, uh, there was a big uptick in car accidents. And they weren't <laughs> accidents uh, at night. They were accidents during the day. When people were smoking in their car and as they were driving, I like that the Girl Scouts opened up a little Girl Scout cookie uh, thing in front of the pot where you buy the pot. Uh-huh. The Girl Scouts put their little table out there. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything in the cookies? No, because the munchies. The yeah, right. Oh, the munchies. Right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So if anybody has any ideas as to why car rates are up so high, give me a call, uh, 800-848-9222. Okay, let's go to Ernest in Rockland County. Hi, Ernest. How you doing, Mr. Morris? I appreciate Good. your time. Um, the reason why car rates are going up is because they're committing unauthorized practice of law, and they have to justify it by notice to the people of why a rate would increase, and the rate can only increase according to weights and measures of law. So really? I don't get that. Yeah. Explain that again to me. Okay. When, when, when you're handing a notice that I have to give you more money for something, the weights and the measures has to advance. In other words, if you're charging me a dollar, what are you adding to that? You, you have to justify that. No, but these that. rates are set by the Public Utilities Commission and the Insurance Department and of the different states, and it's not based on the change in product. It's based on the incidence of accidents and the recovery for accidents. Well, I think Ernest is saying then you have to so explain on. that. If you, yeah. Is that what you're saying, Ernest? Ernest? You have to justify the, the increase of the right. cost, not the yeah. reasons why, the metrics, yeah. not the dynamics of it. Right, right. That's a good point. Interesting. But you had something to say about illegals, I think? Yes, sir. And, and before that, just one quick notice. I really want to clear up a, a, a word that's being used lawfully to mislead everybody about the founding of our country. And that's the word democracy. This country is a country of law. It was founded with 54 titles of law. And those laws can be cited by the people, beginning with Title Four, yep. Section 4, which is the Pledge of Allegiance. And that says the flag stands for a republic. This is not a democracy. A republic right. yeah. is a commonwealth. Good. That, that, that's points been made before, and I appreciate you reiterating it. Let's go to Rick in New Jersey. Thank you, Ernst. The Rick? price of auto insurance is up because they want to price us out of our vehicles, just like they want to do with the global warming scam. The oh, ah, interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Very interesting. And that's very possible. Boy, that's likely. Wow, good move. Boy, that's likely. 
Uh, Boy, what a fascinating point. Rick, you're very good. Kind of the same gotta, thing with the oil, with you know, yeah, Biden cutting yeah. all the oil. We got to check that out. But you had another point about Solyndra, Rick, I think. Yes, uh, Obama took millions of dollars from Solyndra right. for his campaign, and then he gave them five hundred thirty-five million dollars, and they closed up shop about a month right. later. Gave right. Them enough. Solyndra was going to be the big solar Obama. energy experiment, right. Right. and Obama did that. That's absolutely true. That's completely true. Uh, let's go to Liz on Long Island. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Mr. Morris. Thank you for. Liz, we Hi. lost you. Uh, I think we lost Liz. Liz, Liz asked, "Why have I not mentioned Stefanik? Who is Stefanik?" I think that's the. Uh, is that the woman? Uh, uh, Liz. Oh, at least Stefanik, oh. the the House, con- the Congressman. Yeah, she's from New York. And there's been an increasing boomlet for her. And uh, I, I don't know her. Uh, and again, I, I I don't know that she's been through the ringer in terms of the press corps, but maybe she has. You know, Liz, you're right. I need to get more information about her. Right. Uh, and she was definitely pro-Trump and yeah, some good ideas. Yeah, very good. There was a leak uh, the other day that said that Trump is considering three people and one of them was Stefanik. So. Oh, he said three? Oh, I heard that he had someone in mind. He he, there was mind. that. He said, then there was another leak that said that he named, that said there would be one of three okay. and then one of ten, one of five, you know, lots of leaks. He's and, not going to tell us. No. <laughs> He's not going to tell you. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's a good point, Liz. Thanks for making yeah, it. Great. Sorry you were cut off, but that's good. Okay, so what we talked about today is really important. First, we talked about how Trump is soaring in the polls, and we talked about how Biden screwed it up, by, um, uh, DeSantis screwed it up by not announcing early. We talked about the Chevron decision. The Supreme Court's going to reverse that, we hope, which gives agencies the presumption that they know what they're doing, and judges shouldn't get in the way of that. Uh, we need more information about the corruption of Burisma, laying it out clearly uh and then most important this deadly virus the new covid that china is now manufacturing that has a 100 percent kill rate in mice god and why are we permitting china to do this Ugh. do we have to wait until we're actually dying from it before we take action about it incredible